Hi, I'm Mark Rotterman. Coming up, China warns Olympic athletes not to protest. Governor Cooper and Attorney General Stein weigh in on redistricting. And President Biden gets mixed reviews from black and Hispanic voters. Next. Major funding for Front Row is provided by Robert L. Ludden. Additional funding provided by Patricia and Ku Yuen through the Yuen Foundation, committed to bridging cultural differences in our communities. And by. Funding for the Lightning Round provided by Body Knoll Foundation, NC Realtors, Mary Louise and John Burris, Reifenberg Construction, and Helen Lockery. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front row. Welcome back. Joining the conversation, Democratic State Senator Sidney Batch, political analyst Joe Stewart, Donna King, editor-in-chief of Carolina Journal, and Nelson Dollar, senior advisor to North Carolina Speaker of the House. Let's start with China's stern warning to Olympic athletes. Donna, kick us off. That's right, Mark. China is hosting uh, the Olympics, the 2022 Olympics in Beijing. They are already issuing warnings to athletes that there better not be any speech or protest against these uh, atrocities, human rights atrocities are going on at the hands of the CCP and the People's Republic of China. Uh, Uyghurs, Muslim and other religious minorities are being corralled into concentration camps and work camps uh, you know, not that far from the Olympic Games and from that flickering torch. We really see evidence of human rights abuses happening throughout China. Athletes are being told if they protest, if they have any sort of speech during the Games that the Chinese government thinks is against the Olympics. Olympic spirit or in criticism of China, that they say there will be punishments, that there will be disciplinary action against these athletes, regardless of where they come from. This is a terrifying threat. Uh, we're also seeing that Team USA is telling athletes, don't bring your computer, don't bring your phone, get a burner phone, uh, because anything you have can be taken by the, the uh, Chinese and government. And about the athletes' DNA, too. Absolutely. They say that they are going to be gathering data, that they're going to be uh, tapping into their phones and your goods, your, your personal belongings can be searched no matter where you are without your consent in a hotel room or a locker room or wherever. Um, this is really a frightening situation, and it's something we've known was coming for a really long time. Folks have been saying we need to cancel or move these games. The Biden administration has issued a diplomatic okay. boycott, which means that there won't be uh, federal federal uh, representatives there. But the but there are really there. about 60 uh, diplomats going from the United States, I just saw. Mm -hmm. Nelson, let me ask you. Are the corporations who are uh, helping sponsor this speaking out? How about NBC, who's covering it? No, I mean, they're, uh, NBC is covering it. They have billions of dollars of broadcast rights. But a number of the corporate sponsors have been trying to relatively lay low in this process. You know, in my mind, the Chinese Communist Party is the absolute most malignant force in the world today for the same reasons that Donna just said. Genocide, concentration camps, Hong Kong's been crushed, Taiwan is threatened on a daily basis, folks are jailed. They have the most sophisticated internal security surveillance system in the world. And on top of that, what have we lost? Six million? people to COVID uh, with no accountability, no transparency for the Chinese government. So unfortunately, the IOC chose China. This was a okay. huge mistake. It's all about the money. Joe, let me ask you this. Should our athletes boycott this? Boy, this is a tough call. I mean, the spirit of the Olympic Games is that we try to set aside all of our geopolitical differences and the spirit of competition come together and see the best in the possible uh, of all of these endeavors, the best in the world. 
it, it is very difficult not to make a case that China, given its human rights reputation, shouldn't have some consequence for their behavior in terms of this. Interestingly enough, a host of the Olympics is really an expensive proposition for these countries. Well, this cities. is a showcase for China. Well, it, and they never get back the investment that they make in building the facilities and managing this. Most of the money from the broadcast goes to the International <laughs> Olympic Committee. Uh, it may be time to look at how we do the Olympics. Find one location in the world where we always hold these things so these discussions aren't necessary going forward. Sydney, your thoughts? Well, I think it's shameful that the IOC is in a position in which they knew it's not like China all of a sudden started having human rights violations. They shouldn't have been on the table in the first place with regards to hosting the games. And now we see um, Olympians who have worked their entire life to go ahead and finally be in a position to compete and are being asked to step down. It's not fair to them. It's not fair to us. It's certainly not uh, fair to the Uyghur people and the individuals who are in China who are in an oppressed society which will not allow them to um, for free speech. And it's really concerning because Japan shifted and said, so long as you weren't actually disruptive, you could actually make some political statement so long as it wasn't disrespective or disruptive. China's gone to the entire extreme and said even things that potentially are on your phone, you could be criminally charged with. So your speech on your phone or to other individuals privately could also be at risk of Great being conversation. I'm coming right back to you. The Attorney General and the Governor weighed in on redistricting with a plan this week. Talk to us about it. Yeah, so the Go Governor Cooper and A.G. Stein filed an amicus brief with the Supreme Court because we know the redistricting case has finally moved its way up to our North Carolina Supreme Court. Oral arguments will be on February 3rd. Um, what we have seen and what we know is the case is that, of course, the three-judge panel stated that while the maps that were enacted in, in December of this past year were political gerrymanders, our North Carolina Constitution does not prohibit that. Their briefs specifically state that that is not the case. They disagree. They're saying that specifically that the power rests within the people in our Constitution, that political power is from North Carolinians and its people, and that by allowing politicians and parties, in particular the party in power, to draw the maps in a way in which it gives a lot of political power to them and power to continue over potentially, you know, cycles and generations or decades is really problematic and therefore lessens the power of individuals to choose their legislators instead of legislators choosing their people. Where's this headed, Nelson? Well, I think what you're doing, what you're seeing from uh, Stein and the governor are they are advocating for restrictions on the General Assembly's sole responsibility to draw the maps. They're asking the state Supreme Court on the fly in a very few days to come up with a new complex test uh, that the courts would apply to each and every district when the United States Supreme Court, who has analyzed this issue for decades, uh, has said time and time again it's simply not possible. What the Democrats really want, what they're really advocating for here is proportional representation, which is not constitutional, either state or U.S. Constitution. If you want to go down that road, what you would end up with is a European-style multi-party system. You would see the Democratic and Republican parties over time splinter into a dozen different directions. I think it would be political chaos for a country of our size and would be a bad road to start to go down for America. Talking about chaos, how, Joe, how does this impact uh, candidates? Well, it makes it harder because there's less predictability. We already pushed back the primary to May. The legislature's now enacted a a proposed change to push it back even further to June. It makes it very difficult. The governor may veto that, right? Well, the governor may veto it, and, and now the State Board of Elections announced they're going to reopen candidate filing here in a couple weeks. 
it's very difficult for a candidate to plan accordingly. A campaign like any other endeavor has to have the capital necessary to be successful. Burn rates become very important in terms of where you deploy those assets to communicate with voters. If they keep extending the primary, it's very hard to know with some predictability when it is you should deploy your capital in your campaign to make sure the voters know who you are. I think it makes it problematic for the voters, too, who are increasingly confused about where we are in the process, when the primary going to be, who are the candidates that they should be considering. Until all of this gets resolved, none of those answers are known. Donna. Well, I think it's important to note that this was filed like late on a Friday night. It's basically a roadmap from the uh, attorney general and the governor, who are both Democrats, to the Democrat-led uh, North Carolina Supreme Court to show them that there are avenues to go around the Republican-led legislature to get these maps done. Among them, some of the options they presented was using a, you know, a third party, a special master to do this outside of our governmental system to extend the, the, uh, the primaries. Uh, there were a few different options that they weighed, but overall, they're saying, look, the legislature burned their chance to do this, and this is really about the people, and here's a way you can get around them. And the biggest thing to take away from that is this separation of powers that we have built into our foundation is really only as good as the those who, who hold these offices and their willingness to defend their body, not necessarily just their party. Sydney, do we need an independent commission to do redistricting? Some Democrats and Republicans yeah. are advocating for that. Absolutely. I mean, if you, if anyone watched the videos of people, legislators on both sides going in and drawing lines and all of a sudden magically putting a precinct right. in that makes it easier for them, it demonstrates that you are a self-interest individual. It's okay. all magic. <laughs> all right. I want to move on, change topics. Joe? Hispanics and, uh, and African-Americans are giving the president uh, mixed reviews. Yeah, this is sort of an interesting dynamic with the president's first officially first year in office coming up on a lot of polling. And I've looked at a lot of the different results from different outlets that make polling available. The president uh, in his election campaign in 2020 received by all uh, uh, measures and exit polling about 92 percent of all of the black vote that was cast. A significant alignment between African-Americans in, in the United States and the Democratic Party. But polling now shows that among black voters, we were six months ago, 83% had a very high regard for President Biden. That's dropped now to 64%. And that was an AP poll, right? Yes, and that's from the AP poll. But the, the thing that's interesting, too, is among Hispanic voters, where President Trump did slightly better in 2020 than he did 2016, this is another cohort of voters that I think Democrats had historically counted on that is now really up for grabs. Uh, they're not necessarily aligned with either party. And in, even in North Carolina, where Hispanic voters constitute a little over four and a half percent of the total registered voters, six out of 10 Hispanics in North Carolina today are native born North Carolinians. I mean, the population of Hispanics in 1990 was only 75,000 in the state, and now it's almost 400,000, a dramatic increase. And that sphere of influence within our electorate will become increasingly important to North Carolina politicians. But the president's got to hope that the coalition he built in 2020, where he did slightly better in the suburbs than Hillary Clinton had done four years previously, and among independent-minded but Democratic-leaning voters, well, they've got to be enthusiastic he's, he's, he's in 2020. He's no in, in, in the suburbs, isn't he? I see that Trump is actually beating him in a... In a potential matchup. Yeah, exactly right. And, and he's got to hold that coalition together. They've got to remain hopeful about Biden for them to want to turn out and vote for Democrats in 2020. It's just another sign that the Democrats are going to have a hard time in 2022 if Biden can't hold coalition votes that he got in 20. Sydney, did the president overpromise African-American voters? I don't know that he overpromised it. I think the issue is messaging. 
And I think that we talked about this. Was he delivering for African-American voters? Well, I mean, I can't. Obviously, we're not a monolith, so I can't speak for all African-Americans or Hispanics. We're talking about voting rights and other things. With regards to voting rights, no. But he also isn't the one that's actually able to pass legislation. That should rest squarely at the feet of the people in, obviously, the legislature and in Congress. I think the real issue is that we're seeing with his polling numbers and everyone else's, um, but in particular Democrats, is that people are frustrated. But like people of color, all voters are frustrated. As my client astutely said this week, she says, we're going into 2022 COVID the trilogy. No one thought we would be here three years later. And I think that that Democrats we know are not, they're great at a lot of things, not at messaging. And one of the times in which last year we know 5.7% our economy grew, no one is talking about that. Why? Because he is not taking credit for that. He is not messaging it in a concise way. And people don't feel secure despite the fact that the numbers show something very different. Donna, are Hispanics the new swing vote? Um, I think that they are just like everyone else. I think it's potentially they are, but I think in general, uh, Hispanic and black Americans are just like all Americans. They're focused on the economy. They're focused on prices, on what's at their kitchen table, being able to educate their kids the way they want to. Um, What we are seeing in Hispanic men, particularly... Safety, crime. Safety, crime, of course. It's what every American is concerned about. What we are seeing that I think is interesting, Hispanic men now say, compared to uh, in the last election, that 56% of them would vote for Trump. Uh, So that is very much the opposite of what I think a lot of the messaging has been from the Democratic Party. And fewer than a quarter of Hispanic men say that the economy is headed in the right direction. So at the end of the day, regardless of messaging, regardless of polls, it's about educating your children, feeding them, and being able to put gas in your car. Wrap this up in about 30 seconds, my friend. Put it in context. In context, it's really about Biden's job approval. He has tanked, if you look at 10 of the last 12 polls. Is he dragging down the ticket? He is completely dragging down the ticket. I mean, when you look at the more in-depth surveys, Gallup and Harris, there's a fundamental lack of confidence in Biden's ability to do the job. No president um, in modern times has sunk this far this fast, and it's causing Biden uh, dilemmas all across Washington. If you look at their policy agenda, which is dead, Breyer moving forward with uh, his resignation, uh, uh, Democrats uh, also moving up their retirement dates. It's, I saw the title. Titanic four times at the theater. It always ended the same way. The USS Biden has hit the iceberg. Okay. I want to come right back to you. Let's talk about the governor's energy plan. Lawmakers are questioning it. Yes, uh, the governor issued an executive order earlier this month establishing a goal of 1.25 million um, zero-emission vehicles uh, on the highways by 2030, and also by 2030 uh, having uh, these emission-free vehicles uh, make up 50 percent of all new car sales. So uh, that prompted uh, several of our state senators, uh, the senator's colleagues, uh, Sawyer, McGinnis, and Newton, uh, to send a letter to the governor asking a number of questions, including how the state would actually pay for our roads and bridges going forward with our transportation program that is largely based on the gasoline tax if you're moving to all of these. Uh, would there be a push free- to increase the gas tax? Well, our gas tax is already one of the higher gas taxes, and that's because we do not, unlike a number of other states, we don't rely on the local property taxes. We have a coordinated statewide system of roads, one of the largest in the country. And so it would either, uh, you would either have to look at raising local property taxes and changing the finance structure for the state, or you would have to look at saying, okay, vehicle miles travel. And in neither case has the governor weighed in, and that's the real question. How can you set a goal out here 
uh, a very ambitious goal right. for all of these uh, zero emission vehicles on the roads and not think through first how you're going to pay Donna, for the Donna, is roads. it practical and are we looking for a tax increase somewhere down the road to pay for this? Well, I think if you set a goal like this, you would have to see it somewhere and or at least that would have to be on the table if that's really what we're going to do. But the big question is, it's fine to set goals, but this is an executive order, which means that those who are affected by it need to start working toward it. And we had a long conversation, email back and forth right. with the Department of Transportation, and they really didn't have a lot of information. How much do these electric vehicles that they want the state to buy cost? How much does it cost to maintain them? How many do we have now? None of these questions have been answered. So to start the path of marching toward this without having any idea how we're going to pay for it and where we're going to start really seems to be cart before the horse. Joe, the executive order can be changed if there's a change of administration, correct? Yeah, I think so. Uh, absolutely. And another governor may have a very different disposition in terms of timeline and the types of changes that they would want to put in place. So, something that Nelson said is important to remember. One of the hallmarks of North Carolina in the 20th century was the fact that we had a state maintained road system. It really made us a distinctively good place to do business. And part of the origin of that was the desire for farmers to be able to get their product out of the fields into the marketplace in a reliable transportational system. Stepping back a little bit from the politics of this, that's still where we are as a state. We need a transportational infrastructure that makes us a desirable place to do business. Some of this conversation has to be more realistic about what the actual cost of making these transitions will be. But at the end of the day, the focus should be what do we need to do to make sure North Carolina has an infrastructure system that makes it possible for people to get from here to there and for products to get from manufacturer or growth in a field to the marketplace. Sydney, wrap this up in about 40 seconds, my so, friend. So the governor said, and I and I hopefully I'm not misquoting him, is that he actually said he doesn't want a disproportionate tax and raise the gas tax because it's because it will only affect people that are obviously driving gasoline cars, and that he wants to bring the smartest people into a room to try and figure out what we're going to do with regards to these taxes. Last year, we saw a bipartisan um, clean energy bill, which is one of the most profound in the country, that's going to change clean energy. We were able to bring the smartest people in the room together and figure that out. I am absolutely convinced that we can do the same. Nelson knows I serve but, with 169 but they individuals. Know, they know what the options are. It's the political will to say whether you're for vehicle miles travel tax or not. Everybody knows there are very few options. But at the okay. end, but there, I mean, there are Quickly, clearly. we got to move. Okay. There, there are clearly options. I am convinced that of 169 legislators, at least three of them know exactly what Okay, let's go to the most underreported story of the week, Sydney. Um, so my underreported is that a study just came out suggesting that if you give cash payments to low-income mothers, it increases the brain activity of children. The study basically de defined low income as $20,000 for a family household. They went ahead and they provided $333 to some moms. They provided 20 to the other. After the study ended, the, the, the infants who were about one years old had higher brain activity in the households where they have $333. The study suggests that one of the issues, and there was no parameters on how they could spend that money, but we know that with brain activity and brain development between zero and three, which is the most rapid brain development, that stressors within a home actually can decrease brain activity. So by increasing the ability to have a family have more income to pay for food insecurity Or a better job. Or a better job, or appropriate childcare, or a sundry thing, or to pay to rent, decreases the stress within the home, increases the ability for a child to actually have rapid brain development. Thanks for bringing that to our attention. Joe? 
Yeah, under the banner of the world is just a scarier and scarier place, FedEx has now applied to the Federal Aviation Administration for permission to equip some of its airplanes with anti-missile countermeasures as they have to fly over scary parts of the world to deliver products. They want lasers that will confuse the missiles that are being fired at airplanes. My goodness, <laughs> I can remember when FedEx first came online and it was just remarkable that you could get something overnight. And now they're talking about having to defend the planes from an attack over hostile airspace. The FAA uh, noted dryly in response to this application that those types of airplanes ain't really designed for military-style <laughs> equipment, but keep trying, FedEx. Donna. So also in the world of avionics, of course, uh, an announcement this week bringing the, a new generation of flight to North Carolina, of course, ahead of the Wright brothers. Big news. Uh, Boom Supersonics will start building its Overture jet uh, just outside of Greensboro at PTI, the airport there. Um, we're going to be watching that closely. They have a grant from the Air Force Ventures Program, which uh, commits itself to investing in new technologies. Um, one of the things that's important is it's getting a big bundle of incentives from local county uh, and state. The state what appears to be about 87 million over 20 years. So uh, I think it's exciting. I'm looking forward to seeing what, what happens. Nelson. Well, including the uh, reappointment of Federal Reserve Chair Powell, the president uh, has nominated um, five members to the Fed board, including two members from North Carolina that would be from North Carolina, two black economists, and it will result in a majority of women actually running the nation's uh, money supply if everyone is confirmed. Uh, the confirmation fight itself will be over Sarah Bloom Raskin, who is the proposed uh, chair for the Supervision and Regulatory a Committee. Congressman from Maryland. Yes, and. Uh, she is a progressive uh, who wants to increase banking regulations, regulate cryptocurrency, and most concerning, she actually advocates using the power of the Federal Reserve uh, to direct capital investments into politically uh, favored asset classes That's like the green. That's never happened before by the Fed, right? No, it has never happened before we'd be breaking new ground. In particular, she has advocated um, f funding more for uh, the green economy and pushing investments out of fossil fuels, which is actually a mistake that we've been in okay. for some time. Uh, it would be, as you say, Mark, new and a highly controversial policy direction. We'll continue to follow that. I think it's because you're going to have a hard time, though. Let's go to lightning round. Who's up and who's down this week, Sydney? Up is UNC's uh, Lineberger Cancer uh, Center. They actually got an anonymous $25 million donation. Part of that will um, start See if a you new... can find that, uh, you know, front row needs some funding. <laughs> Um, and so they actually will have a new uh, cancer center, which will focus on triple negative breast cancer, which is one of the most aggressive breast cancers. 10 to 20 percent of women um, are diagnosed with it every single year. Also, some of that money will go to the pediatric um, hospital and also to research metastatic breast cancer. Uh, and then my down for this uh, for for today is actually the unemployment rate in North Carolina in December. It dropped to 3.7, and we are actually lower than the national average of at 3.9. Joe. Yeah, up is the wait time for the processing of immigration documentation. Kansas City has apparently these underground limestone vaults where all of the paper applications for immigration are processed. It's up three months in terms of the total turnaround time, so just since 2019. The entire immigration system in the United States in terms of lawful immigration is still pen and paper based. And so this is one of those infrastructure needs we probably should change. Who's down? Bitcoin down about 50% of its high of about $70,000. So, some part of this is the realization is the discussion about regulating Bitcoin. The president weighing in saying we probably need to do something to regulate this, the, right. th this strange new 
currency. I myself am investing in Mark Bucks, which is a new currency based on <laughs> the relevant popularity of Front Row, and it's way up right now. Donna. Uh, gas prices, seven-year high in North Carolina right now. Price, average price is up five cents a gallon for regular, kind of in line with national standards, but we're also seeing more transportation increases, like with this incentive uh, for supersonic boom. North Carolina is a great place to start a business and live and work without incentives, so we're seeing more and more money going to some of these transportation and incentive projects. Now. My down, uh, support for military action in Ukraine. Uh, only about 31% of those polled said that they would support boots on the ground and military intervention in Ukraine, and that was a Rasmussen poll. Yeah, I don't know what our national security interest is in the Ukraine. Nelson. Uh, economic numbers this week. So up, GDP was up 6.9%. Unfortunately, most of that was uh, replacing inventories. Uh, the personal consumption uh, uh, index, inflation index, was up 5.8%. That's a 40-year high. Wage inflation up 4% for the year. Uh, federal uh, Chairman Powell okay. uh, indicated that interest rates are also okay. going to be going up for March and down. 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 Uh, consumer confidence is down. Um, consumer spending in December was down. Okay. Economic growth was down. The stock market is on track for its worst January in history. Sydney, headline next week. North Carolina Supreme Court takes up the, um, the gerrymandering case with no judges recused. Headline next week. President Biden hopes this is the bottom of the well in terms of his popularity issues. How does he change the equation? Well, maybe the nominee to the Supreme Court helps uh, change that, uh, at least the narrative a little bit. Maybe if we don't go to war with Russia, that looks good for the president, too. Headline next week. Uh, the Olympics get underway, but while you're watching, keep in mind the 1936 Berlin Olympics, when Adolf Hitler was using it as a platform to present a different face for Germany in the world. We're seeing it happen again. Nelson, headline next week. Russia continues its preparations for invasion. Okay. Great job, guys and gals. That's it for us. Hope to see you next week on Front Row. Have a great weekend. Major funding for Front Row was provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by Patricia and Ku Yuen through the Yuen Foundation, committed to bridging cultural differences in our communities. And by. Funding for the Lightning Round provided by Body Knoll Foundation, NC Realtors, Mary Louise and John Burris, Reifenberg Construction, and Helen Lockery. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front row.